Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Drop Pass Podcast. I hope you're doing well because the past few days haven't been that amazing for me personally, as you can probably still hear from my whiskey bass since I ended up catching a cold when I returned back from my trip and all you guys out there know exactly how brutal the man cold can be, so because of that, this episode also ended up getting postponed more than I expected and wanted, but now I decided that it was time to put my voice to the test and battle through this despite my incomplete vocal cord. Last time we did a slick NHL checkup through the burning headlines from the NHL front, and this week my aim is to tie these two episodes together by bringing up some names from the early season that have surprised us with their play, have been playing above their level, or otherwise have made a lasting impression with their performances. Or on the flip side, haven't gotten off to a start most of us were expecting, or even have been complete disappointments within the first 20 or so games of the fresh NHL season. So if you've been waiting for an update episode from the player and stats front, this is the episode for you buddy because you are about to hear some harsh words about few specific individuals, but also some praising that is needed in some instances, so you better prepare yourself for a very open-ended show this week. But we got a lot to go through today, so let's just let Steezy Joe show us the way once again. Without further ado, let's get going. Alright, Senna's little helper, it's once again time to dive a bit deeper into the depths of the National Hockey League and today's pace is going to be high since we got a lot to unpack and only so much time to work with, so clench your cheeks and get ready for action-packed 60 minutes. Like mentioned, this week the brightest stars as well as leapers and usual suspects plus total disappointments will earn their spotlights and just to shave off some time, we are going to skip few teams that have been on the table already during our previous few episodes and that obviously means the likes of Calgary, Edmonton and San Jose right at the forefront. You might hear me say a few words about some names but for the most part, since they've been under major scrutiny within the past few weeks, I'm going to leave them be and just try to focus on the other names in the league that have had an impact in the bright lights one way or the other. And how I've decided to execute this is by starting with the best of the best from the early season after which we will start making our way down the totem pole and end with the names that have been miserable to watch so far. So if you want to get the full experience, I would advise you to stick until the end because we are going to see a major dispersion between the first and the last names of our today's show. And just as the last note, I need to point out that this episode was prepped throughout last week, so most of the point totals shared in today's episode are not quite up to date, but they should at least give you an overall perspective of what these guys have been up to within the first short stretch of the new NHL season. So, let's just get cooking, shall we? First names that will earn the big credits from the early season are Anaheim's Frankie Vatrano, Mason McTavish, Pavel Mintyukov, and both of their netminders Lucas Dostel and John Gibson. 
Both Vetrano and McTavish have been unleashed this year, and for a short moment, Vetrano in fact led the entire league in goals and is still running with 11 talks in 16 games. So, needless to say, his start has been something that pretty much no one was expecting, which begs the question if this is sustainable or not. I hope it is, because the Ducks have needed some additional firepower to their top lines, and they've been a lethal one to combo with McTavish who has seriously looked like a seasoned veteran this year as their first-line center. And if this is his level going forward, the Ducks fans should expect to see their team taking even bigger leaps in the coming years because they've already introduced so many of their future core members this year and more than likely will continue to do so as the season progresses and injuries start to affect the team's outlook the closer we get towards the new calendar year. Both guys are currently rocking with point per game average, and like I said, Vatrano has tucked 11 Gino so far, so his career high 24 is in jeopardy if he keeps on finding the open net in the next coming weeks and months as well. Meanwhile, their stud rookie defenseman Pavel Michukov has been the surprise name for many fans because not only does he have 10 dots to his name from the first 16 contest, but he's also looked like he belongs from the very first puck drop, but this shouldn't surprise you since he was one of the names featured in my season preview hot take. And while Olin Zellweger is still yet to make his NHL debut, Minchukov should be in the running for the Calder and there's still time for Zellweger to make his mark on the next level as well. Because he's been almost point per game in the A and is the other big name on the Ducks depth chart that is expected to take his spot on their top four in the next coming years, if not sooner like I stated. And the final two names that will earn the final shiny credentials from the Orange County are John Gibson and Lucas Jostel, who've been more than solid this year. Although, Gibson's start has followed the same script as in the past, where he heats up at the start and starts slowly disappearing as the time passes. So, let's hope that the Ducks and their goalie duo can keep their groove, because so far it's been entertaining to watch their play, despite the fact that few of their top dogs haven't even caught up to pace just yet, but there's still plenty of time to do so, so... Things seem to be looking up for the Ducks, or at least for the few names mentioned just a moment ago. Arizona's lone wolf in the so-called Keep the Change group of names is Sean Dursey, who has completely taken off in his new role as their first power play unit, as well as first-string quarterback on their back line. He has 11 points from 15 contests and so far has surpassed all expectations set for him before arriving in Arizona, so... I would imagine that losing both Jake Ren and Ghost doesn't hurt that much anymore when you get to watch this smooth right-handed pivot slither his way across the ice and to dish the puck up to your other young stars. So, it's been good to see him finally truly blossom in the desert since for a moment it seemed like his development would stagnate due to limited options in LA. But if he keeps on delivering like he's done so far, he could be the next Josh Morrissey or Vince Dunn of the NHL 2023-2024 season. In Boston, the usual suspects have been as good as advertised. Pasta is rocking with 24 dots from 15 games. Meanwhile, their tandem of Ulmark and Swayman has been probably best in the league, so that has only boosted the trade talks involving the Swedish net monarchists. Swayman has shown why they should invest in him long-term and use Ulmark's trade value in order to haul in a centerman that could take on the first-line duty. Although so far, there's been nothing to complain about when it comes to their current one-two pants of Saka and Coyle, which in fact has been better than I was willing to accept, so at least so far so good, but 
there's still plenty of time for that to change. And since I don't believe in Boston's magic being sustainable for too long anymore, I would certainly start looking for suitable options which could make sure that they don't end up dropping too much in the standings once they hit the first drywall for the first time this season. Also, the rookie Matthew Potra has been fantastic this year and for many has come straight out of left field with his play, but once again, he was on my radar already in the preseason, so I expect that you weren't all that surprised when you saw the Canadian waterbuck making his mark in the new beast uniform. Next, we jump all the way to Carolina where names Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Brady Shea have shined the brightest within the first 16 games of the new season. Kotkaniemi currently leads the team in points with 13 markers and has looked extremely comfortable as their second-line center. He has continued to use his strength on the ice and has found his new calling near the crease area where he's done most of the damage within the past 12 months. And even after painting some scary pictures to Kaniac's minds, it's been nice to see him elevate his game and truly start to push towards this second-line center spot for the cup-hungry Hurricanes. Brady Shea has taken many by surprise with his offensive contributions and so far he's their leading point man amongst defensemen, which quite clearly isn't something you would expect when you see that that exact blue line also features more offensively minded names such as Tony D'Angelo, Dimitri Arlov and Brent Burns, who will make their appearances later on during today's episode. And the final name that will highlight the Kane's bunch is Teuvo Teravainen, who has woken up in his contract year by banging home 9 goals in 16 games, and this way has dragged up this trade value by quite a large margin after posting just 12 goals and 25 helpers during the previous season. So those three names have highlighted the Kane's early season. From Chicago, we find names Bedard, Kurashev, Perry, Folino, and Mrazek, and I feel like I don't need to emphasize much why number 98 has made his entry to this list because so far the young phenom has tucked home 9 goals and 4 apples from 13 games. But more surprising names on this list are the veterans Folino and Perry who stand right behind Bedard on their score sheet with 8 points from 13 games and could end up being valuable additions for contending teams at the deadline if they continue producing this way all throughout the 23-24 season. Grashev has been on fire as well lately and currently has 6 points from 7 contests and I would love to think that this will be the year when the Swiss national finally takes the next step and becomes a household top 6 name on the NHL ice. And the final name in Chicago in need of some pats on the back is obviously their netminder Peter Mrazek who so far has been on fire with 0.921 save percentage and 2.84 goals against average which by all means is something we didn't expect to see at this stage of his career when taking into account the defense he's playing behind and of course his prior seasons in the Hawks uniform. But that truly is the reality and while I would love to think that he can keep up his level beyond the year 2023, I fear that we are about to witness a brutal fall off the face of the earth at some point because his current 3.5 goals saved above expected number is way too high for a guy that is playing for a team that is expected to work as a point machine for the rest of the big hitters of the league as the season progresses. In Colorado, the big three of Makar, McKinnon and Randanen has been on a revenge tour for the first 15 games of the season. And especially Randanen has been all nails so far this year, so... Without any major injuries, these 3 should be close to surpassing the 100-point mark, 
once all 82 games are being played based on the fact how they've started the new campaign. Meanwhile, in Detroit, the big name, at least to me, especially compared to expectations, has been veteran netminder James Reimer, whose six-game average of 0.917 save percentage and 2.30 goals against average is top-notch, and something the Wings have been needing in the absence of Ville Husso, who unfortunately ends up manning one of the later categories of today's show. And obviously the start that Larkin and the Bringet had was elite, but since I already gave them some credit in one of the earlier episodes, and because they've cooled off since the start, I decided to drop them down the ranking, and they will man the good start category with their point-per-game averages. And believe it or not, but after 17 games, Alexander Barkov nor Matthew Kachak is currently leading the Cats in points, but the former second overall pick from 2014, Sam Reinhardt has taken over the top spot with 24 markers from 17 contests, and partially due to it, is also becoming one of the favorites to win the Selke Trophy at the end of the year, thanks to his extremely solid defensive game. He has really found his game in the Sunshine State and is truly proving that sometimes high draft picks need more than just a scenery change to pop off, so this is exactly the reason why I don't like to call high draft picks busts until we've seen their whole repertoire. Because, for example, for the longest time, Reinhardt was just seen as a solid complementary piece in Buffalo's top six, who could put up north of 50 points on a good year. But right after arriving in Florida, he put up career-high numbers alongside Barkov and Huberdo, and now in his late 20s, he's seemingly taking it up a notch and proving to the whole wild world that he was worth the second overall pick, and that he's much more than just a middle six option for a mid-tier team. His 13 goals in 17 games is extremely impressive, and if his teammates can keep their scoring pace while their defensive leaders return back into their lineup, the Cats should not be taken lightly because they've now seen what it takes to get to the finals, and things can change after all 82 games have been played. But surely, he ain't the only guy from Florida that has surprises since almost forgotten Oliver Ekman Larson has turned back the clock and has led the Panthers' blue line in the absence of both Montour as well as Ekblad with 11 points from the first 17 contests. He has looked as solid as they come and so far we haven't seen any signs of him slowing down but understandably, once those two right-handed options return back into their lineup, he will see his minutes decreasing quite a bit or at least that's what I'm expecting to see so then we will once again see if this was just some pixie dust or if the Swede has finally found his new home in North America, where he will showcase what he still has to offer for the league before he steps out and starts to close the book on his NHL journey. So tremendous starts for these two, no questions about it, and once we, or at least I, surely wasn't expecting to see. And without a shadow of a doubt, the two most impressive players from LA have been the veteran netminder Cam Talbot, who got onto my chopping block a couple weeks back due to his underwhelming start, but as well their young star, Quinn Byfield, who finally seems to have broken out of his cage, and is slowly starting to fulfill the expectations set for him before going second overall in the 2020 NHL entry draft. Byfield is currently on his way to shatter his previous point record of 22 points in 53 games thanks to his 13 dot total from the first 15 games, whereas Talbot has posted impressive .927 save percentage and 2.11 goals against average, mixed with 6.7 goals saved above expected, which is currently 6th highest in the entire league. 
And I gotta be honest and tell you that ever since their slow start, I haven't paid that much attention to their game as of late, because like I said already in the season previews, I couldn't see them as a viable cap contender thanks to their goalie duo, but if this is what the Kings are going to get from their aging puck-stopping veteran, I think they are in good hands, although I still have some doubts about the sustainability of his current numbers. But like I said, I've been impressed, and like I said a couple months ago, I chose Byfield as my breakout candidate because already last year we saw glimpses of what his future could look like, and I wasn't going to miss out on the opportunity, so the next question is going to be, will he be a lifelong winger, or could there be a way to transfer him over to his natural position at center, because currently they have no job openings on the center of the ice, and that's exactly why he's had to take the long route in order to find his way into their top six. In mini, their rookie defenseman Brock Faber has continued where he left off in last year's postseason, and like I said during the playoff breakdowns, he has looked extremely comfortable on the next level, and while he isn't the most offensively gifted rookies in this year's class, he has made a case for himself due to his elite defensive game, and in my opinion, should earn few looks when the votes are dispatched before selecting the best rookie of the 2023-2024 NHL class. Marco Rossi has had himself a banging start in somewhat struggling Wilds offense score, and so far, he has racked up 8 points in 15 games, which has been great to see when taking into account his health problems and overall struggles, which have prevented him from finding a spot on their four lines. So, hopefully he's able to keep up this level, and we truly get to see what he has to offer for the Wilds, because their fanbase has been waiting for his breakthrough for some time now and his overall stock has been dropping steadily ever since getting drafted ninth overall in 2020. But I can guarantee you that if I would have told you that after 15 games, Patrick Maroon would have more points than Drew Doughty, Johnny Gaudreau, and Yevgeny Kuznetsov, you probably would have sent me a nice and calm DM calling me an idiot, but that's the current reality we're currently living in, where the big rig sits on the fifth place in their inner scoring table and is seemingly turning from a bottom six grinder to a two-way threat in his new environment. Montreal's most notable name from the early season has been their centerman Sean Monaghan, who has continued his strong form from the previous season and is currently having a time of his life in Quebec with 13 points from 17 contests. But just like last year, injuries are the main concern on its part since last year as well. He got off to a good start, but once again, his body ended up giving out and he had to step on the sidelines just after 25 games, so... While no one probably expecting him to turn back into a 60-70 to 70 point guy, it would be nice to see him getting closer to his former self and earn another chance on a contending team that is looking to add more depth to their center spot by bringing in this skilled and hard-working offensive threat. Nashville's Philip Forsberg earns full credentials from the early season because you can't ask for much more from him after posting 18 points on the board on a struggling organization and Honestly, you could even add Ryan O'Reilly into the mix as well because he has showed us that he still has it not only defensively but also offensively after getting thrown out of St. Louis during the earlier season. So those two have been the standout names in Smashville, which in all honesty is somewhat surprising because the one name you probably were expecting to hear in this segment will be featured later on in another not-so-pleasant category. In Jersey, the deadly duo of Brad and Hughes has been just as lethal as we thought it would be, and even their summer edition, 
Tyler Joffoli has kept his point-per-game pace up from Calgary, so even though the Devils haven't had the start they were probably hoping, they have just too much firepower in their disposal to not turn things around, especially if they can get their top two centers back in their lineup sooner rather than later. Meanwhile, in Long Island, Noah Dobson is the only name that has really stood out in the first portion of the hockey season with 14 points from 16 games and is quickly cementing spot as their top point guy amongst a group that is more focused on keeping their neck clean than adding numbers to their scoreboard. And obviously, it would be criminal to leave out Semyon Varlamov from this segment since the Russian netminder has already two shutouts from six games and is currently rocking with 0.934 save percentage and 2.18 goals against average and with it, has left his native counterpart in the rear view mirror, even how ridiculous that might sound, and has also become one of the more tempting trade options on the current market due to his tremendous start to the new season. In Big Apple, Artemi Panarin has begun his revenge tour with 24 points from 14 games and seems to be determined to show us all that last year's postseason was something we will never see from him again in the future. And obviously, I also gotta pay my respects to their veteran net monitor Jonathan Quick, who has looked awesome in their crease, and a testament of that is his stat line of 0.928 save percentage, 1.98 goals against average, plus 5.7 goals saved above expected. Ottawa's youngster Ridley Gregg has looked mighty fine in the Sens top 9 and has 7 points from 9 games to show for it. Meanwhile in Philly, defenseman Travis Sanheim has jumped up to a whole nother level by putting up 14 points in 16 games while playing on all situations. So, if Breer decides to pull the lever on their most valuable assets before the deadline, they could haul in quite a return because Travis Konechny has continued where he left off last year and Joel Farabee has continued to produce for the Flyers. So, things could get interesting for the Flyers fans the closer we get to the NHL trade deadline. Pittsburgh's top dog has obviously been their ageless captain Sidney Crosby who is currently rocking with 20 dots from the first 15 games and his linemate Jake Genzel hasn't been that much worse either because the speedy winger has so far registered 19 points in the first 15 games but at least for me Crosby's start has been the more noteworthy especially given that the 36-year-old just recorded himself another hat-trick and is almost forcefully trying to drag the pens out of the league's basement. But at least so far, their great production hasn't translated to their defensive numbers and they've struggled to keep themselves above 500 thanks to iffy goaltending and less than desirable defensive game. And that same can be said about the St. Louis Blues as well since pretty much the only guy that has truly carried the team thus far has been their netminder Jordan Binnington whose numbers so far have been off the charts with 0.93 OC percentage. 2.24 goals against average and 10.2 goals saved above expected. Robert Thomas could be added in the mix as well because he's been leading their offense within the first quarter of the hockey season, but since that is pretty much expected from him, I decided to give him in the good category, especially given what Ben Nasty has done for the team so far this year. And obviously in Toronto, the duo of William Nylander and Austin Matthews has been outstanding to this point with both guys rocking with plus 10 goals and over point per game pace. So I guess it shouldn't surprise you, but obviously Matthews' league leading 13 goals and Nylander's 25 points in 16 games can't be underestimated. And that's why I decided to throw them in this category for now. 
And if you paid any attention to recent fixtures, you surely noticed that the Canucks have been a straight-up wagon and have completely shifted gears under their new bench boss, Rick Tockett. Quinn Hughes has been an absolute defensive machine on their blue line and honestly has become my own favorite in the hard race thanks to his 27-point total from 17 games and overall dominating performances. Meanwhile, you still can't forget names such as JT Miller, Elias Pedersen, Philip Ronek, Brock Besser and his 13 tucks, plus obviously their net mother Thatcher Demko from the equation either because that group of names has made sure that the Canucks have remained near the top through the first 17 games and have provided them enough firepower in order to take out some tough competition on their way to the best start we've seen from them from a quite a long time. Elias Pedersen has been as dominant as last year and I would be lying if I said that he shouldn't be considered for the heart if he keeps this up for the whole 82 games and even how badly I would like to believe that Rone can keep up his point-per-game pace. I unfortunately fear that he will start to cool off at some point for one reason or another but as long as he keeps producing while not being a total liability defensively, even the Canucks DN looks solid so an absolute booming start for the Canucks. And I truly hope that they can keep this going because so far, they've been the most entertaining team to watch in the early season. Vegas, like I said, has showed no signs of cup hangover and has been one of the most dominant teams of the early season. And guys like William Carlson and Shea Theodore have had an awesome start to their year offensively alongside their familiar perpetrators, Eichel, Stone and Stevenson. Meanwhile, their both net mothers have cranked up the heat and belong to the elite group of net protectors that are currently rocking over 0.925 save percentages. So, in a nutshell, we could be looking at another back-to-back cup winner if their train stays on its track through the full 82-game campaign. Also, their rookie defenseman Caden Korsak has looked extremely solid in a small sample size and if they can get even half the numbers he has put up so far, while focusing more on the defensive side of the puck, they'll have their next top four defensemen ready to step up, so things aren't looking that bad on the depth chart either for the most recent Lord Stanley winners. And the final names that will represent the above expectations group are going to be Winnipeg's Cole Perfetti, Alex Ayafalo, and Carl Connor. Seemingly, I was yet again a year early with my prediction since Cole Perfetti has taken over offensively this year for the Jets and currently sits on the third place in their inner scoring table with 14 dots from 18 games, so I guess it ain't too big of a reach to expect him to break his single-season point record this year if he ends up staying healthy because last year was already a small storm warning for what's about to come in the future. Their new acquisition, Alex Ayafalo, has also had a tremendous start with his new team featuring four tucks and nine apples from the first 16 games. While you also can't count out Nino Niederreiter's impact for the team since he's been a workhorse for them on both sides of the puck and his 12-point total ain't too shabby either. So, seemingly the Jets have been exactly what I was expecting Nashville to be for him when he signed his new deal back in the summer of 2022. And lastly, I want to give some props for Kyle Connor since he as well sits on the shared pole position in goals with 13 talks from the first 16 contests. So, by the looks of it, he will once again be one of the names involved in the Rocket Richard race that also features some of the names that have been highlighted earlier on in today's episode. And just so that we can get to the biggest disappointments of the early season, I'm going to combine the following two categories into one, meaning that players that have had 
good slash up to expectation starts and more than iffy are going to be combined and I'm going to quickly explain my picks obviously so that you can get a sense of which category they actually represent. And the same order will also apply here so we will start from Anaheim and end up on Winnipeg before we move on to the most disappointing names of the early 23-24 NHL season. So from Anaheim, I would still like to give a small nod to their most recent first-round draft pick Leo Koss in case he has looked like an unpolished diamond during his 11-game stint where he's staying on the puck and isn't afraid to make plays when he has the bread. So mainly because of it, the Swede has 8 points to show for it and if this year ends up being Mason McTavish's breakout season, Carlson could be the next on the line purely just based on a small but very telling sample size. In the desert, their top gun Clayton Keller has continued his strong form from the earlier season and is currently riding with 16 dots from the first 16 games. Meanwhile, one of the top Calder candidates, Logan Cooley, has recorded two goals and ten markers within that same amount of games and therefore is still holding on to one of the top spots for the trophy. And lastly, I gotta give small notches to both of their net monitors, Connor Ingram and Karova Malka, who've shared the crease with great results, and even their most recent call-up Michael Carcone has had his fingerprints all over their success. And a proof of that is his stat line of six Genos and two apples from 15 games, so it's seriously starting to look like that the hard work is finally paying off for him, and he's here to stay for good. Only disappointing name that really jumps out is their second-line center Barrett Hayden, who just capped off a 43-point campaign with the Desert Dogs, but so far, the four points that he currently holds isn't what their fans, leadership group, or even teammates are expecting from him, so he's got the work cut out for him if he aims to get closer or even surpass his last year's numbers. Alongside previously mentioned Pasta, Coyle, Saka and Matthew Poitra, the usual suspects Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy have also been in the mix as well and have been a big part in the beast success in the early season but also their free agent acquisition James Van Riemsdyk should earn some credit because he's been extremely efficient with 12 points from 16 games while playing the least amount of minutes out of their all top 6 names. He's been his usual self and has done most of the damage near the crease area by parking his excavator ass in front of the opposing netminder's crease while shoveling and tipping pucks in from close range and even though his footwork has started to affect this game more and more, so far he's been more effective than I was ready to expect but once again injuries are something to look out for on his part because those have shadowed his recent past so, so far, so good but we'll see how long this will last like the entire beast run there are still names that haven't caught up to pace yet and need to step up if they aim to finish near the top before we enter the final stretch of the hockey season. And names that belong to that category are Jake DeBrusque, Matt Grislick and Hambus Lindholm who all have experienced a massive drop on the points department from last year and especially DeBrusque's offensive contributions would be needed in order to keep the bees in the top range conversation. Both D-men as well would need to chip in as well in my opinion because so far the only source of offense on their blue line has come from number 73 and since we know that both of those left-handed pivots are capable of putting up decent numbers and their current totals of 4 and 1 are not full representations of their offensive capabilities. Buffalo's top 6 on the other hand so far hasn't quite lived up to expectations and while some could question that point due to the fact that guys like Darlene Thompson, Skinner, 
Tuck and Cousins are not that far from a point-per-game pace. Also, the fact is that more is expected from their top six offensively, so if they can crank up their scoring while guys that have impressed early on with their contribution, the likes of Joki Harju, Middlestad and Peterka, they should start creeping out of the league's basement because the margins are still very small and even their net monitors have started to slowly get their numbers up. Obviously, Thompson's injury will have its effects and a lot can happen within a month, but this also should be seen as an opportunity for the others to step up with more ice time available. And even Jack Quinn's return is getting closer and closer by each passing day, so those guys need to get in their full stride in order to avoid another early season fiasco. That could wreck their entire postseason plan after showing us some promising signs just 12 months earlier. Carolina's blue line trio of Brent Burns, Tony D'Angelo and Dimitri Orlov has been downright horrible compared to expectations because so far, Chewbacca has just 8 markers from 17 games, D'Angelo is rocking with one less in 16 contests and a terrific minus 10 on his plus minus column. While their offseason addition, Dimitri Orlov cleans the table with 1 goal and 5 assists from 17 games, so... Yeah. At least so far their offseason acquisitions haven't hit the bullseye. Which is somewhat concerning, especially on Orlov's part, because he will be carrying a 7.75 million deal in his chest pocket for the next two seasons. From Chicago, we find two rookies that haven't gotten into the spotlight thanks to Conor Bedard's existence, but at least in my opinion, should earn more credit than what they've gotten so far, and those names are Kevin Korczynski and Alex Vlasic. You've heard me talk about Korczynski multiple times in this podcast already, and if you watched any of their games or even highlights, you've probably noticed that usually he's all over the ice, and therefore one of the more noticeable players on the Hawks lineup. He has just 5 points from 15 games, but has been relied upon a lot on nightly basis, and his average ice time of 19 minutes and 12 seconds, which by the way, is the second highest average behind Seth Jones, just proves that their management trusts him, and is not afraid to use him on all situations regardless of his current offensive output. And this also applies to Vlasic who is currently the plus-minus leader within the team with plus-7 marking, and since he's seen as the next shutdown defenseman on the Hawks' back line, his three assists in 13 games is more than welcome, and due to his great performances on their blue line, he as well has seen his minutes increasing as the time has passed, so the Young Bucks in Chicago are coming up nicely, and there's pretty much just one name in particular that has failed to meet the requirements that I've set for him before the season got off, and that is their German forward, Lukas Reichel. Only three points in 15 contests isn't color-worthy, so unfortunately so far, he's been left in the dust of the previous three, and really has some work to do in order to get back into color race, because one could even argue that his point total and decently bad minus eight isn't up to industry standards, so I hope that he gets back on his horse and shows us why I've been so high on him for some time now. Colorado's secondary unit consisting of a veteran centerman Ryan Johansson, Arturi Lehkonen, Ross Collin, and Logan O'Connor has so far been more than decent, and especially Lehkonen and O'Connor have stood out with their two-way game, and that, in all honesty, shouldn't surprise anyone that has been following the Avs for a few seasons now, but on the hindsight, I might be forced to start tucking down my Golden Days boner because by the looks of it, Jonathan Drouin's days in the NHL might start to dwindle down soon enough because the former third overall pick got off to a decent start on the Avs' first line, but only a few days later, we saw him eating popcorn in the press box, so 
I might have to take an L here and tell you that I might have overhyped the idea, but hey, who wouldn't have loved a good old rejuvenation story? So unless he finds some magic from the Colorado Springs, we might as well dig the idea six feet under and call it a day because he won't find 40 points from the fourth line or from the press box, that's for sure. Also, Sam Girardi hasn't celebrated with too many points as of late and with this pace could become one of their most enticing trade options thanks to Bowen Byram's solid start to the new season. And even their netmutter Alexander Georgiev's numbers have fallen off a bit from the start, but I would imagine him tracking those numbers up as the season progresses because they've still been one of the top teams in the West and are expected to remain there for the remainder of the regular season if injuries don't end up hurting their progress on the way there. Columbus's early season has been quite horrendous and the numbers also back that up. So since we are going to return to this city in a short minute, I'm just going to throw out names that have been at least digestible. And those are Wierenski, Fantilli, Marchenko, Voronkov, Roslovich, and Danforth. Meanwhile in Dallas, the top three has continued to march onwards just as expected. And I don't think there's really need to emphasize their meaning for the whole team. but if we just jump over those names, I gotta give some credit to youngsters Wyatt Johnson and Thomas Harley who've been rock solid to start the year, but also to Vesna candidate Jake Ottinger who's been a brick wall between the pipes, and veteran forward Matt Duchesne who's been just as good as advertised and currently sits on the third spot in their inner scoring table with almost point per game pace from 15 contests, so... Needless to say, my cup favorites are currently humming nicely, and there was a reason why I chose them as my preseason pick to win the Lord Stanley. In Detroit, the new dynamic duo has slowed down a bit, but point-per-game averages are still something worth mentioning. And I also would like to give some props to their new power play cannon Shane Gosses because the guy has racked up 12 points in 16 games and has brought a completely new threat to their half-wall due to his tremendous shot. Daniel Sprong has brought his offensive game to Motown as well and is currently cruising with 10 points from 17 games. Meanwhile, their D-man Jake Wallman is quickly becoming one of the more underappreciated assets in the league-wide level with his solid two-way game and puck distribution as well as carrying skill. Even their heavy-legged pylons Justin Hall and Big Ben get some love from me. And I don't know if Veleno heard what I said about him in the offseason, but he's off to a tremendous start himself as well with five Genos and two Apples from the first quarter of the play, so not much to complain about there if you ask my honest opinion. But, while saying that, it also doesn't mean that there would be nothing negative to say about the Wings, because so far, like I said, James Reimer has carried his own luggage, meanwhile Villa Husa has struggled to keep his net clean, and a .885 save percentage plus 3.61 goals against average proved my point, and if he doesn't get his game in line soon enough, it could make things much more complicated for the Wings because he was seen as their clear-cut starter when the season kicked off, but if they aim to challenge for the playoff spots, they can't handle too many nights where their crease lakes like crazy, and we all know that. So for Husso's sake, I hope that he finds his game and is able to bounce back because so far, even with six wins on his back, it's been tough to watch him between their sticks and their whole organization needs to see him succeeding, there's no questions about that. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It may be too early to start decorating for the holidays, but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. Why not take care of it now before the crowds and packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare? Especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season well before Black Friday. You can shop Raycon products right now and save up to 50% off because their early Black Friday sale is going on now. Raycon first made a name for themselves in the audio space with products like their everyday earbuds, known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features like a 32-hour battery life and a perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort. And this past year, they expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon Power Tech. Their 5-star reviewed Magic 180 cable allows you to charge iOS, microUSB and Type-C devices 8 times faster with a 100-watt power delivery. Raycon is known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features at half the price of the other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have racked up tens of thousands of 5-star reviews. To get everyone in the holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is currently offering 20% off everything on their side, with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowds and save now, trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash THPN to score up to 50% off Raycon products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Edmonton's clear top three this year has been Leon Dreisaitl, Evan Bouchard and Jack Hyman, and you could even throw in Evander Kane's name as well, who just recorded his first hat-trick of the season only a couple nights ago. Meanwhile, Edmonton's savior Connor McJesus has struggled to maintain his momentum and has only 13 points from 14 games, which sounds so unrealistic in so many ways, like in which planet almost point-per-game pace is seen as bad. Well, when you took home over 150 points, your expectations switch quite fast, am I right? But by no means is he the only guy that has struggled both offensively as well as defensively since both of their highest-paid demon, Matthias Ekholm and Darnell Nurse, haven't come close to their previous season point totals, which has had its impact in the Alls game so far this year, which is something that certainly needs to change before they can be seen as realistic cup contenders once again. And as a jury on top, their offseason addition Connor Brown has a perfect goose egg on his stat sheet from the first 10 games and even Ryan McLeod's early season has been a complete pancake offensively with only two points from 16 games, so it's really no wonder why they've struggled as much as they have when taking all these aspects into consideration. 
Reinhardt and OEL obviously have been the clear standouts for the Cats squad this year, but overall there ain't much to complain about when it comes to their top names either, because most of them currently are rocking with close to point-per-game averages. Although, some could say that compared to past few years, for example, Matthew Ketchuk's number should be somewhere near Reinhardt's totals, but there's still about 55 games left, so I wouldn't necessarily panic about it, especially when knowing that top two blue line quarterbacks have been sidelined for the entire first quarter of the current hockey season. Also additionally, I would like to shed some light onto their offseason additions, Dimitri Kulikov and Niko Mikola, because they've also been a huge resource for the Panthers, who, like I said, have been missing their top names from their back end for the first 20 or so games. And the fact is that when, for example, Mikola's new deal was announced, the amount of people saying that this was a huge waste of dollars was almost absurd, so not only as his friend, but also as a fellow fan, I've absolutely loved seeing him prove people wrong with this extremely solid defensive presence because there was only a handful of people who had any trust in him before arriving in the Shanghai State, so I've really cherished the opportunity to see those people starting to bite their lips a bit more. So big thumbs up for those two in Florida as well. And while Talbot and Byfield have so far been the clear-cut standouts from L.A., Obviously, you can't just go about your day without giving credit to their top names Fiala, Kempe, and Kopitarkas. They are currently manning the top spots in their inner scoring table, but in addition to those guys as well, I gotta give credit to names Trevor Moore, who by the way is currently only points away from being a point-per-game player, Mikey Anderson, who scribed himself a decent point pot from the early season, and also Drew Doughty and Arthur Kaliev, who haven't necessarily been the top point guys thus far at least but have brought their A-game to their defensive end and this way have stood out with their defensive metrics overall. Some could say that their off-season addition Pierre-Luc Dubois start hasn't been up to industry standards and I wouldn't argue with that, but the season is still young and by looking at LA's recent run of games, I would imagine him getting his numbers up sooner rather than later because the team has been humming quite nicely since the season began almost a couple months ago now. In Minnesota, on top of the previously mentioned Rossi, Maroon, and Faber, I also gotta give some respect to Joel Erickson Egg and Jonas Brodeen. And while saying that, I also gotta admit that I was close to giving some props to Jacob Middleton for his offensive contributions from the early season, but then I happened to check his advanced analytics and decided that, well, it is probably better to just wait and see if he ends up improving that total as well because his current 9 points from 17 games alone won't even out the pros and cons in this situation. But when it comes to EKK and Brodeen, just like I presumed in the season previews, it has started to seem like EKK has finally found his offensive knack and is quickly becoming one of their more valuable assets in their organization. 15 points in 17 games ain't bad in any universe and in fact, that is in line with Kirill the Thrill, so yeah we might have our Patrice Bergeron 2.0.0 in the making here. Sean Monaghan was the standout in the Habs line, but there ain't too much to complain about in Suzuki's, Caulfield's, and especially Matheson's and Kaden Gooley's early season numbers, because the top guns have provided them the offense, and Matheson's 50-point season still isn't out of the realm of possibilities, so I'm glad that I won't have to scratch off another hot take from my list quite yet and get to see if we end up getting some additional assets for the future for his services. Meanwhile, Juraslavkovsky's start has been quite a pancake so far, and like many have already suggested, 
I feel like it would be best for him to get some minutes in the minors in order to get his game back on track because so far he's been almost a full-on freeloader on the Habs lineup and haven't been able to bring anything measurable to their game. So before we throw him overboard, aka label him as another bust number one pick, let us see what he can do on the AHL ice because otherwise this might end up being another case of too much too soon. I know, yeah. Their goaltending hasn't been completely horrific so far, so at least that's something you can grab home as a Habs fan. In Nashville, Tommy Novak is proving that he's the real deal with his offensive contributions, and even names look Evangelista and Kiefer Sherwood have brought their own ingredients into the mix, so although the Preds have kind of sucked ass in the big picture, you can see some glimpses of hope in the brush pile, so better days could be ahead in Smashville if Yusuf Saros ends up signing his extension later next year and ends up dragging up his numbers because so far he's been very mid between their pipes. But what can he really expect from a guy that has now stood on his head for two seasons in a row now behind a team that knows how to play defense as well as Washington's number eight? The Devils, as we know, have dealt with some injuries which took out their top two centers for a few weeks, which ended up benefiting, for example, their last year's addition, Timo Meyer, who started to creep towards the point-per-game average yet again for the first time in his new hometown. And that change in their lineup also ended up benefiting their Finnish centerman Erik Haula, who has boosted his offensive totals as well in the absence of their 1-2 punch. Luke Hughes has looked awesome on their blue line as well, and John Marino has found another gear to his offensive game, but I can't go about my day without giving some flack to names Dawson Mercer, who currently has just 4 points from 16 contests, Andre Palat, whose current total shows just 7 markers from the same amount of games, plus their net monitors who've been below average for the first part of the season with sub-0.890 save percentages. So, if they wish to see the playoffs yet again next year, they must start fixing their 5-on-5 game, because so far they've relied on their lethal power play and that will only carry them so far, so if those guys mentioned earlier can't get their game back in shape and their blue paint continues to leak like it has done to this point, they could end up being the odd team out because there will once again be a fierce battle for the available tickets in the East, and I would imagine that the Devils certainly don't want to be one of the teams left in the dust. In Long Island, in addition to Noah Dobson, clean papers can also be handed out to forwards Matthew Berzal and Bo Horvat. Meanwhile, their right-handed defenseman Ryan Pulak has continued his dive deeper into the depth of mediocrity, and compared to expectations, even their first-string netminder Ilya Sorokin haven't quite lived up to expectations, which in all honesty are set pretty high, and while his save percentage and 3.32 goals against average incompletely horrible, they certainly ain't in the top class of the league either, so there's still some work left on his part, which in the long run could determine the destiny of the entire team. Their city rivals, on the other hand, have gotten contributions all over their lineup, and not-so-familiar names Eric Gustafsson and Alexis Lafreniere have found their way near the top of their scoring table with great performances throughout the first quarter of the new hockey season. Gustafsson has racked up respectable 12 dots from the first 16 games. Meanwhile, Lafreniere has taken the next step offensively and is currently rocking with 11 points from 16 games, from which 7 have been goals. And as you can imagine, if he keeps producing, it could mean that some changes are inbound in the Big Apple, which could involve the other high traffic that's been battling with the French-Canadian for ice time in their system for a few years now.
Will Cool has been a decent addition to their middle six as well, but it needs to be said that more is still expected offensively from Mika Zibanejad, and especially Blake Wheeler, who currently has just four points from 16 contests, which is not the total Rangers fans hope to see this early into the new season. Ottawa's top six has continued to produce as expected and even more unfamiliar names Matthew Joseph and Artyom Zub have had their handprint all over the scoreboard, so offense certainly hasn't been a huge problem for them so far, but more so their defense and goaltending like we could expect already when heading into the new NHL campaign. And as I've said, the Flyers have been the spark plug of the early season and collectively have been a strong unit where names such as Bobby Brink and Sean Walker have been able to shine without, of course, forgetting their young netminder Carter Hart, who's been top-notch to start the year. So, while Cam York, Noah Cates and Morgan Frost have been the standouts on the wrong end, the Flyers have exceeded expectations and many of their players with it have been able to show their A-game, which at least in John Tortorella's opinion has been a good thing. But if we put that aside, we all know that this could come back to haunt them if they don't end up taking advantage of their situation near the deadline time. Crosby and Genzel have earned the bright spotlight in the Steel City, but Eric Carlson's recent form, Brian Russ's comeback campaign, Gino Malkin's point-per-game pace, and even bottom six name Radim Zahorna's entrance to the big league have been noted, and some could even argue that their net monitors haven't been the issue this year with above 0.915 save percentages across the board. Meanwhile, in Seattle, Oliver Bjorkstrand has continued his strong form from the playoffs, and it's truly starting to seem like that Vince Dunn's previous campaign wasn't a complete fluke because after struggling to get on the board in the early season, the left-handed blue liner is creeping closer to the point-per-game pace, same as their last year's waiver acquisition Eli Tolvanen, who to this point has registered 5 goals and 10 apples in the span of 21 games. On the contrary, Jordan Eberle, Alex Wenberg, last year's Calder winner Matty Beniers, and even their last year's point king Jared McCann have seriously struggled with scoring, which has contributed to Seattle's negative record, but as of late, it has started to seem like that they are finally getting their boat off the shore and are ready to start pushing themselves towards the top of the league standings. But Philip Grubauer's early season has been yet again one to forget, so I guess we could all see this happening given that this is exactly the way he has started his previous two NHL campaigns as well. Robert Thomas, like I said, has been by far the most proficient offensive weapon for the Blues during the early season, and if the rest of the gang doesn't start to put their hours in, the Blues are bound for a lottery finish, which could eventually lead to even more changes than what we saw during the 22-23 campaign, because so far names such as Kevin Hayes, Jordan Cairo, and Brandon Saad haven't brought much to the table in terms of offensive contributions, and if this doesn't change soon enough, the Blues could be in for another season without any postseason action. That could lead to even more changes, like I said, than what we saw during the previous campaign. Tampa's top guns led by the Russian machine himself, Nikita Kucherov, on the other hand, have kept them afloat so far this year with their offense, and even Brandon Hagel has found another gear to his game alongside their lethal top six options. And if any of you thought that Victor Hedman's career was slowly coming to its end, by looking at his current point-per-game pace, we can agree that that's not happening, like I said already during their short playoff run. Alex Barribule has been a spark plug, which has been much needed in the complete absence of rest of their depth names, 
Anthony Cirelli and even Tanner Janot haven't been able to bring much on either side of the ice, while even their blue line second in command, Mikhail Sergachev, has been criticized due to his underwhelming performances and especially lackluster defensive plays. So, Andrei Vasilevsky's comeback couldn't come at a better time because Jonas Johansson, who got off to a strong start between their pipes, has started to really leak. So, the hope for the Bolts fans now is that Vasi is back to his old self and that his return will spark even bigger flame under this team before entering the final race of the 23-24 campaign. Toronto's second-line center John Tavares is off to a great start with 19 dots from the first 17 games, and their rookie netminder Joseph Wall has been able to cover some ground between their pipes with just below .910 save percentage. So, as I said a couple weeks ago, the starting role in Toronto could be his to lose at the end of 82 games, if Samsonov doesn't just magically end up turning things around before they truly have to start deciding which one of those two will end up being the one carrying the responsibility in the postseason. Morgan Riley and TJ Brody have been their usual nonchalant themselves and in my opinion should earn more recognition than what they gotten in the hockey mecca. Bobby McCann has been a tremendous two-way add to their lower lines and even Nick Robertson is off to a hot start with four points from six games so while names such as Jaren Kroc, Domi and Bertuzzi haven't quite lived up to the offensive expectations set for them, we've ended up seeing more names emerging from the crowd and there's still time for those guys to add more points on the score sheet as the season progresses, so the Leafs are currently on the right track, but where the journey will end up leading them is a completely different question on its own. Vancouver start, like I said, has been one to watch, and I could praise their team for the remaining minutes of this week's show, but to save some time, I'm just going to give small tick taps to Phil DiGiuseppe, Ian Cole, Ilya Mihajev, Sam Lafferty, and Casey Desmith for their contributions to their terrific start. But, on the hindsight, there have also been few freeloaders on the right as well, and it should be pretty obvious at this point that Connor Garland is the big one in question here and is as good as gone before the season ends because the right-handed pocket rocket has been almost invisible and to this point has registered just 5 points in 20 games. So the question just remains, who wants to take on his contract because the Canucks will be buyers on the deadline if they can keep their level and names such as Höglander, Beauvillier and Garland should be amongst the trade chips on offer before the deadline closes. Washington's top names Ovechkin, Strom, Kuznetsov, Carlson and Wilson have led their squad offensively but to their fortune. Also young names Hendrix Lapierre and Connor McMichael have stepped up and are off to great starts with half a point per game averages from the early season. Meanwhile Rasmus Sandin has failed to meet the expectations with just 4 points from 16 contests and similarly their starting netminder Darcy Kemper has struggled in their crease with sub 900 save percentage and above 3 goals against average so while the Caps still remain in the playoff conversation, if they don't see more improvements across their lineup, they could end up being the odd team looking in once the playoff tickets have been distributed, like I expected to happen before all 82 games have been played this year. The trio of Mason Appleton, Adam Lowry and Vladimir Mesnikov has built a solid foundation behind Winnipeg's top guard with their performances in the early season. And pretty much the only guy still trying to find his peak offensive touch is the day Nikolai Ehlers, whose 10 points from 18 games isn't anything horrific, but compared to his expectations, more should be expected out of him. But due to the fact that the Jets are already off to a decent start, I fully believe that if he ends up avoiding any major injuries, he'll soon be amongst the top names on the score sheet and alongside him, 
their first stringer, Connor Halibach, should also take it upon himself to improve his totals because the Canadian Wolves' 0.900 save percentage and 2.84 goals against average isn't just good enough. So, in order for the Jets to fight for playoff spots, they will need their starter to be their bedrock and best player on some nights. So, while their game is still nowhere near complete, there are certainly strong signs that they are in for the long ride, which is promising not only for their fan base, but also for my preseason predictions. And with that, we've reached the peak of our today's episode, which will feature the most underwhelming performance from the early NHL 2023-2024 season. So, since I've saved the best for last, I'm finally going to take my seal gloves off and tell you straight up what I have on my heart when it comes to these few following names. After all, I've been pretty gentle so far with my criticism, but as we start to go down our final list, you're going to notice that there just ain't much to lean on when it comes to these names. So, just as the last warning, parental advisory is advised within the following 5 to 10 minutes. First off, Trevor Zegris. I'm just going to be straight with you and tell you that I saw this coming right from the moment when I heard that he had started dating one of those TikTok thoughts. Guy's NHL career has taken a full-on nosedive ever since that moment, so I truly hope that he's scoring between the sheets because that certainly ain't happening in the Hanna Center, and his two points in 12 games is a true testament of that. If I was Verbeek, I would just call his agent and tell him that he has now two options. Either he dumps that D-list celeb and starts focusing on his real job, or starts looking for condos 350 miles up north where the Sharks play, because the last thing that organization now needs is distractions while they are trying to make their way out of the league's basement with their new young and horny core. Pun intended. I already covered Calgary's current situation in our previous episode, so I'm not going to waste any more time going through their shit show once again, but just know that it seems like they've grabbed each other by the balls and have decided that it's time to get back to work, or otherwise nuts will start cracking, which has led to small posture change in Calgary as of late. But the fucking Columbus Blue Jackets. Are you guys seriously trying to relocate the entire goddamn franchise? Like, their whole circus is a complete joke at this point, and unfortunately you can put only so much blame on the two so-called superstars. Their situation isn't salvageable anymore, so please, for the love of God, save Yarmo's mental health and just let him free. He is deserving of his exit papers, plus the criticism that comes with it, but the team is just in desperate need of a fresh voice in their big office, and the guy that will eventually step in his shoes has to have a Shaq-esque slong in his pants because this team is in desperate need of a real facelift, and only way to accomplish that is by bringing in the torts of the NHL GMs. Both Johnny Hockey and Patrick Laine are well-known, state-of-mind type of players that lack the real hunger to win any meaningful games, and while I understand that it's hard to sometimes find the drive to succeed on a team that is continuously getting the sloppy seconds, but the reality is that those guys are or at least should be the leaders of that team, and should be the one showing the way out of this shit show for the others, but now we've at least learned that these guys aren't capable of such feats, and their ownership should really start to think if these two are seriously the guys they should build around their franchise, because this fucking mouth breathing needs to stop right here, right now. 
So make the necessary changes and get interim guys behind the desks, because this project is long overdue, at least if you ask me. And ferocious action is the only thing remaining, so get right down to it. Please and thank you. Camp Talbot, as we know, has been one of the biggest surprises of the early season, but um, same can't be said about their backup Phoenix Copley, who's been horrendous so far between the pipes for the Kings with 0.845 save percentage and 3.75 goals against average, so the team has gotten little to no help from their Twilight backup. And while we're talking about goaltenders, I might as well push Minnesota's entire goalie tandem under the bus with the same breath, because both Flurry and Gus have been god-awful to start the year, which has had its trickle-down effect on the whole team and, in the worst case, could end up leading to them being out of the playoff race already by the time 2024 rolls around. And if you happen to have any doubts at the back of your mind, just go ask Jacob Markstrom and the Flames. I bet you can get a pretty honest answer from their camp based on their last year's outcome. Ottawa's Anton Forsberg, Toronto's Ilias Samsonov, Detroit's Villa Husso and Carolina's Antti Ranta belong in the same boat as well, so I would say that there's more than a handful of starters that are in desperate need of posture change before they pull their teams under the water with them and drown any hopes of postseason before we've even reached the halfway point of the 23-24 NHL campaign. In Pittsburgh, Rigard Raquel as well has had a horrendous start to his season on the points department and most recently was placed on the Penn's LTIR list after suffering an upper body injury. Meanwhile, a two-time Stanley Cup winner Jeff Carter is playing himself out of the league and at this point it would really surprise me if we didn't end up seeing him on the waiver front sooner rather than later because his last season with the Pens was already a total fiasco on the personal level and so far we haven't seen anything that would indicate that some things have changed so Unfortunately for him, it seems like his NHL journey is slowly coming to its end because he has only this year remaining on his contract. And if he doesn't suddenly end up finding his offensive touchback, this could end up being his swan song in the bright lights based on the odds. And somewhat similarly from Washington's aging core, winger TJ Oshie has as well stood out due to his lack of points and if you haven't checked out his deadline to this point, I wouldn't necessarily suggest you do that now either because I can promise you that it ain't pretty to look at, especially if you are a diehard Caps fan. And why I say that is purely because of my own personal experience that is linked to half forward Josh Anderson, whose two assists in 21 games made me almost vomit in my mouth when I checked how my team was doing from the figure standpoint. So at this point, I can safely say that I wouldn't have regretted it if either Bergevin or Hughes would have traded him elsewhere for a few packs of cigarettes during prior seasons, because then at least there was some friction, but right now, the only teams that might have some interest can even afford his current contract, so I guess we have fans just have to suck this up and hope that he ends up turning his form around before he gets bought out. And if you're wondering what those organizations could be, let me just tell you that they surely ain't NHL teams. Only thing that both Klingberg and Reeves have done successfully to this point is that they've taken some room from the Leafs bench, but other than that, they've been total waste of air in Toronto as we know, and the final two names that I want to point out in today's episode stem from New York. Because in Long Island, their captain Anders Lee is off to a historically bad start with just 5 points from 20 games, but I guess you could put some blame on their management as well, because that is one of the symptoms of staying in the island for longer than two seasons. And lastly, 
I got our Finnish pride Kaapokakko here, who as well has been as useful as he did in a monastery for nuns for the league leader New York Rangers with his three points from 20 contest. And like I said, with this deadline, he has almost guaranteed himself a trade out of Big Apple by the end of the regular season, which I hope could eventually help him turn his trajectory back around towards the upside we believed he had when he was drafted second overall back in 2019. So all in all, I would say that so far, it's been a weird, but at the same time exciting start to the new NHL season, which I hope will also carry over to the new calendar year as well. But it's still extremely early and most teams are just getting settled to their systems. So as the game amounts start to rise, the closer we get to the NHL All-Star break, so should the differences between the top teams in the league compared to the mid ones and the totally separate class of clubs called as the local tank regiments. But that is the set for this week. I hope you enjoyed it despite my limited vocal range. And as the last note, I have an announcement to make since it doesn't only affect me, but you guys as well, who are the hardcore listeners of the show. I have decided to take a break for the month of December for a few reasons. First of all, as some of you know, I've started working in a new company and getting used to the new routine field of operations, systems, legislations, customs, and so forth has been extremely time-consuming and it has taken off some time from my free time as well and thus has caused some changes to the overall upload schedule of the show. And since this job is something I've been looking for some time now already, I want to prioritize my development in that aspect at least at the start and don't want to stretch myself too thin because I know if I try to focus on two big things at once, the quality level will eventually end up suffering on both ends, and that is the last thing I want to happen right now, especially here, because I know that some of you guys turn up each week regardless of the current topic. So, since I know that my time is going to be extremely limited at least for the next month or so, when considering that Christmas and New Year's Eve are, for example, coming up, and honestly not that many people are focused on listening to different shows at that time, I want to dedicate most of my efforts into getting up to speed with my current job and trying to figure out the best ways to make this relationship work in the future as well. Because this is still something that I want to keep in my weekly routines without a doubt, but I also know that I need to figure out how that can be optimized so that I don't end up burning the candle from the both ends. And secondly, I also want to use this time to reflect on my current progress, how the pod is doing, what aspects could and should be improved, How can I bring more value for you guys each week? And also, how can I make this fit into my new routine? So once again, I apologize for the inconsistency in the past couple of weeks, but since I don't want to keep whining and complaining, that will end up being my last apology in regards to this current situation. So from this point on, you know what the future will end up holding. And once we end up returning in 2024, I'll tell you what I've discovered and what the game plan will end up being for the show's future as well. So thank you for your understanding. I believe this is the best course of action in my current situation. And since I know that you guys won't just abandon me, I'm confident in saying that we will return back stronger once the next chapter begins in 2024. Now though, I'm going to wish you pleasant and happy holiday season, plus a wonderful start for the new year. I hope to see you again when we return for the second coming of the Drop Pass podcast. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. Alright.